And welcome to episode three of the Dagger Revamp. I am Justin Pierce here alongside Corey Kennedy just after a a uh, big vacation, big vacation in Florida. Um, just got back from Disney World. Corey, how's it going? It's going good. I hope everyone's enjoying uh, the week. We, we're rolling into March, if you can believe it. We've got March Madness coming up. We got, um, you know, we got a lot of stuff going on in the sports world. So I'm excited. We had we just had a great interview with Joseph Klein. We're gonna, we'll tease that a little bit later. But feeling good on this uh, Tuesday Tuesday morning. We're recording, so hope you guys are digging the new format. I, I'm I'm enjoying it. And we got we just had a third guest, so hope you guys are liking it and uh, keep commenting, following, all that stuff um, for for more stuff. Yeah, yeah, we're on Facebook now, so you know everybody who's on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. I mean, we're gonna be posting videos of all of that too. So uh, stay tuned uh, for all of our content, and you know we'll be you know we'll get this episode out as soon as we're done. But let's get started with uh, a little bit of NFL news that we. That was broken out earlier this week. Uh, JJ Watt was a free agent until this uh, this past Monday, where he just signed with the Arizona Cardinals. He's on a two year deal worth about twenty three million dollars guaranteed, and overall in the deal is thirty one million dollars. Corey, what do you think about this deal for the Cardinals? I mean, they were in desperate need of a pass rush, but they finally got their guy to go alongside Chandler Jones. Uh, JJ Watt is, you know a beast unlike any other yeah no this is this is crazy um you know we talked about it in the last couple of previous shows and this one was a little bit surprising too um jj watt was you know taking a sweet time with this he had more time you know to he could have waited longer the the nfl year is, is just going to be restarting i think later this week um and so or maybe next week but yeah jj watt to the cardinals he he broke the source or he he was the source of, uh, of the breaking news he, had, he posted a picture of him in a Cardinals uh, shirt, you know, doing on the squat rack. So J.J. Watt, um, you know, this guy is we thought that he was going to go to a legit um, kind of solidified contender. Maybe, you know, somebody like the Tampa Bay Bucks or, or, you know, somebody like that. But this one is a little bit surprising in that sense that the Cardinals aren't a surefire, you know, you know, Super Bowl, you know, um, odds favorite. So this one is a little bit interesting, but just the type of player that J.J. Watt is. I don't think that he would be a guy that would want to, you know, just be a, an easy ring chaser guy. I think that he's going to go in and, you know, I think it kind of works, you know, too, going from Texas to Arizona, kind of similar lifestyle, didn't have to go too far. I thought maybe he'd, he'd fit in well with the Packers, but maybe that was just too far out of his, out of his um, being close to Texas. So I do like this move and this really adds a nice, a nice kind of boost to the defense and Cardinals. I mean, this is, he one thing though he moved to maybe arguably one of the toughest divisions in football in the NFC West. So this is a tough one where you got the Rams, Seahawks, Cardinals. It's going to be a, a tricky a Niners. It's going to be a tricky one, but I do like the move over, overall. It's going to be it's a fun move. Yeah, there is a lot of rumors about there out there about where he would go. I mean, the Bills were up there as one of his options. The Green Bay Packers were up there as one of his options. Even the Pittsburgh Steelers that would have lined him up with. Uh, both of his brothers that are already on the team over there right now. Um, that that was also a rumor, but he went with the Arizona Cardinals and he went with former teammate in Houston, DeAndre Hopkins. Uh, I think that's just fascinating how uh, Houston, Houston didn't get any first round picks in return for both of those players. Corey, what are your thoughts oh, about how Houston has handled uh, 
everything with the JJ JJ Watt release and the Deshaun Watson drama. I mean, just overall, just how just how how is this going and how did it spiral out of control so quick? Man, the Texans are they got a lot of work to do, and they still have the Deshaun Watson, you know, trade or you know, they still have the Deshaun Watson, you know, going thing going on. And so that's just rough that you know, they at one point they had JJ Watt, Jadavion Clowney. Jadavion Clowney, you know, they can they can pay him enough, moves on, and now they don't have JJ Watt. DeAndre Hopkins, you know, take ripped off that roster, um, is which is just brutal. And they could have easily gotten a running back in um, you know, in the draft that I mean the the Chiefs drafted Clyde Edwards Alaire, 30, I believe 32nd overall, and the Texans could have got him. So they just they it just rough, you know, you know overall decisions with the general manager head coaching um that that's just brutal and you know you now you have jj watt and deandre hopkins together in arizona you got the texan they're the houston or the arizona texans so to speak um so i do think that that probably paid a little bit in the role and you know reuniting with d hop um and so who knows what people are saying they should swap uh deshaun watson and and kyler murray to um to get everybody over to to arizona um, but yeah, that's just looking back on it. This can be one of the worst, you know, kind of mismanagement, you know, type of things with the players. And, you know, we still have a huge thing going on with Deshaun Watson in Houston. He doesn't want to play management doesn't want to trade him. So we're, you know, we're headed to the perfect storm, you know, this could be bad. Um, but yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, that the Houston Texans situation is it's really toxic right now. And it's a certain situation that any NFL franchise doesn't want to be in. Um, with their quarterback and that's just after signing an extension um, him not wanting to play for you anymore and refusing to put on the jersey ever again for the Houston Texans so that's that's something I'm fearful of if for me as a as a Chargers Chargers fan growing up uh, I was very feel, fearful of uh, Philip Rivers ever doing that uh, I'm fearful of Justin Herbert doing that in a few years when, once he gets his contract extension but yeah, it's a it's gonna be a very it's gonna be a very interesting um, way to see how NFL owners and GMs um, are gonna handle some of these signings from now on because Deshaun Watson got paid. I mean, he has a contract contract extension for the next four years. He's getting paid over thirty million dollars each of those years. I mean, how hesitant do you think other organiza- organizations are gonna be with? Uh, signing their franchise QB early and uh, very early. Yeah, I know it's a tough one because, you know, you look at quarterbacks and, and, and you see they get the most hype, they get the most media, you know, you know, press and, and all that stuff. And, but when you look at it though, it's, they really need a full team to, you know, to reach their full potential. And you see so many guys just get destroyed with a bad offensive line or, you know, holes in the defense everywhere or no receiving core no run game so you know you really need a lot of players to, to make this thing work and you saw how Deshaun Watson you know kind of got downgraded after DeAndre Hopkins left them just in one year and he got destroyed all over the field last year so um, you know DeAndre, or Deshaun Watson was looking to be that kind of top 10 QB but had a t- you know only I think the Texans only had three wins three or four wins this year so that's it's just tough to see um, that you know maybe his you know his his kind of prospect go down in that sense. Um, but I do think to answer your question, I think that the people are still going to want to sign 
you know, these quarterbacks, but you see with Jared Goff, he's, he's already moved on. Sean Watson wants to move on. And you see, it, it's kind of a change in where the NBA is kind of trending towards the NBA where players are, you know, like you see with Anthony Davis, he just, you know, left the Pelicans, boom, he's on the Lakers. And this happens everywhere with Harden. I mean, LeBron, even LeBron, Kawhi, Paul George's, Russell Westbrook, it, it just seems like it's a over, you know, evolving carousel all the time. So I don't know if the NFL is ready for that, the NBA level, but I do think that, you know, this stuff can happen. And if anything, it keeps the organization in check more, you know, make sure you're, if you're going to sign this guy, you need to, you need to surround him with all these pieces. You can't just sign someone to a five-year or eight-year deal and just let him, you know, get destroyed on, 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 you know, behind the offensive line. So you see guys like Andrew Luck just retired um, Russell Wilson, like we talked about with Musa last week, he, 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 there's rumors he might want to leave. So I think you really got to, th- this era is all about, you know, respecting the players and, you know, they're not just someone that's a punching bag. Like you, you need, if you're going to sign them, you need to surround them with that, the same level of, you know, invest in that same level with the whole team. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, yeah, that's going to be a situation that every organization is going to look at once, uh, that co- comes around. And I don't wish that upon anybody. So, um, yeah, moving on to uh, some golf news. I mean, Tiger Woods, This just about at this point last week, wow, I think it was like just right after we released uh, our last episode. I mean, he was in a really bad car crash in uh, Southern California. And uh, I mean, it was, I mean, it was almost deadly. I mean, he he's lucky to be alive. I mean, both of his legs were broken. Um he, I mean, he had to go into surgery and, you know, he's, I mean, I, I thought he was, you know, I think it'll be, I thought he was going to be lucky to walk again. Uh, I mean, it, it was, it was really fatal, but you know, there's multiple tournaments across the uh, United States uh, this past weekend, also one in Tucson, just to bring that up. But I mean, yeah. there was, I mean, there was, you know, a lot of, a lot of players were wearing their Sunday, Sunday reds, just like Tiger did. And wearing yeah. like you know they were really showing, um, they're really showing their colors and really showing what kind of what kind of person they think Tiger Tiger is. So I mean, Corey, what what was your reaction to what uh, we saw this past weekend with uh, all these pro tournaments across the United States? Yeah, no, I I love it that that the players, the PGA players, got together, and even players on the senior tour like Phil Mickelson out in Tucson. Um, so he put on that U of A red. Uh, and he, I saw he was a little bit salty about that, that he could only find he's a former ASU alum and he could only find the block a uh, Arizona red out there, but props to him for putting on that red and honoring tiger. And I think that the main thing is, I'm just, I'm just so happy that, you know, we didn't lose, we didn't lose tiger. And, and he's, he's done so much for the game of golf and, you know, albeit he has had his controversies and he has had his, you know, his downside um, to, you know, to his career, but he just changed the game of golf. And a lot of these young guys coming up, I think are just so influenced by him. And he's kind of the Jack Nicholas, the Arnold Palmer of, of, of his time. And, you know, arguably the greatest golfer of all time. And, you know, I'm just happy, you know, we just, we got to see his relationship with his son, Charlie really blossomed this last couple of years. And Tiger's kind of changed his personality from that robotic, you know, I'm going to win every tournament, beat everybody up type of play to now he's, he's more of a human. He's, you know, he's interacting with these players. We saw him just at the Genesis Invitational um, hosting that event, giving the trophy to Max Homa, um, who, you know, grew up idolizing Tiger Woods. So 
is, you know, I'm just so happy, you know, if we see him on the, on the golf course, it'd be a huge bonus, but I'm just so happy that he's still alive. And, um, you know, he has a lot, you know, th this, this ankle, you know, ankle injury, leg injuries, it's going to be a really tough comeback, but he's, if anybody Tiger can get back and, and can, can recover from this. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just only, I mean, Tiger is truly the goat of golf. I mean, he's one of the most influential, influential, uh, players we've ever seen, uh, in the game of golf. I mean, it's, I mean, from Arnold Palmer to Tiger Woods, I mean, there's no one like those two. And uh, just to see that happen to him is really devastating, but I'm glad that he's going to be okay. I mean, um, hopefully he's back on the course soon just for that, for that sake. But overall, I hope he's, I uh, hope his health is okay moving forward because he, I mean, you never want to see that happen to anybody. And it's, it was just, it, it shocked, it, it just felt like it shocked the world a little bit and it took every, I mean, just, the last over the last year it's it's just been as bad as it is uh it's been with everything going on but it's more relieving to see that he's okay and that you know he's he's been overwhelmed with all of the support so i mean just props to him for uh staying strong and you know sticking through everything that's been going on with uh with the surgeries and everything like that but um yeah we're gonna we're gonna kind of transition into uh our interview with joseph klein uh corey just if you want to give us a little teaser into what were what the people are going to expect yeah just uh shout out to joseph for hopping on the podcast first time on the on the dagger so and it was a great time hopefully we have him back um we talked everything from spurs basketball to really going into his time as an arizona basketball manager that these guys do all the behind the scenes work um, and practice at the games. And, you know, they're a huge part of the Arizona basketball organization. Um, we got to see him out there all the time, uh, you know, on, on the court, on the, on the bench. And so uh, Joseph gives some really great insight on some former Arizona players and Nico Mannion to the team this year and what they're dealing with and, you know, and what they might look like next year. And I think maybe the most important thing is talked about Sean Miller and what he's done for him in his career, but also, you know, the type of coach that he is and his take on, on the whole Sean Miller um, thing right now. So it was really great insight, great, some great stories dropped in there. So I really hope you guys enjoy this. Um, and it, it was a great podcast or a great interview. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is probably one of the most in-depth interviews that we've had with uh, any of our guests so far. So, I mean, shout out to Joseph for popping on, uh, popping onto the show last minute. Um, we had a little bit of a schedule change, but I mean, I mean, we made it work. So uh, here's Joseph and, you know, everything that, everything else that Corey just talked about. All right. We are here with uh, our special guest for the week, former Arizona basketball manager and a former colleague at UATV3, Joseph Klein. Joseph, it's bright and early in Tucson. How are we doing? Man, we're doing well. Blessed to be here. Thank you for having me, Justin, Corey, and can't wait to get started and talk about some conference tournaments that we got coming up because it's March now. Yeah, and uh, we're not only going to get into conference tournaments, we're going to get into some Arizona basketball as well. Uh, their season just ended this week against, uh, they ended up playing Oregon and the Washington schools. Um, you know, they concluded their season with Oregon with a loss to Oregon and 
you know, seeing Arizona in this weird sort of rebuild after one year, I mean, they brought in about a bunch of guys who are four year players. What, what did you think about the way Sean Miller recruited uh, particularly for this class compared to some of the other years where he's had a bunch of McDonald's all Americans and a bunch of one duns uh, come through the program. I assume that question was directed toward me. Yes. I think the answer to that is coach Miller's done, did a great job combining foreign talent with um, talent from the transfer portal, like James Akinjo and also Jamal Baker. But on top of everything like that, what's not talked about is there aren't foreigners in the All-American game. Azulis Tubelis and Ben Matherin potentially would have been in the McDonald's All-American game. So it's not a fair comparison to say that he didn't bring in All-Americans because these are some of the top foreign prospects in the country and were projected to be the top two or three foreign prospects come this NBA draft. The talent will be there. It's going to take growth because a lot of it is just the change of rules from the international game, from FIBA to the American game. And as you saw early in the season, as Lewis Tubelis took a basketball off the rim because that's allowed in FIBA. That's not allowed in college basketball, obviously. So he got called for a goaltend. I mean, it was all Coach Miller could do to laugh at the situation because at the end of the day, I mean, it's funny. It's a different style of play. But when you see the talent that's been recruited and the skill that they have at really every position now, starting from a transfer in James Akinjo, shooting guard Jamal Baker, small forward Ben Matherin, and if Dalen Terry stays, then they got Ben and Dalen, power forward in center. You obviously got Christian Coloco, Azulis Tubelis, and Jordan Brown. I mean, the talent's there for the future. So the, the, there is a bright, there is light at the end of the tunnel after this rebuild and a lot that's gone on with the program. And Joseph, I just want to take it back to your days as a, as a former basketball manager. For people that don't know, you know what that job entails, can you kind of talk about what you, your day-to-day stuff and just what that experience, you know, how important that experience was for your development and just working in the industry? Yeah, so it was a, it was a fun gig. I was, I'm honored to have had the opportunity to do that. I actually got offered the job with, when Justin was with me one day. So we were covering a Sean Miller press conference and coach pulled me aside after the press conference and offered me the gig. And I was like, okay, let's do it. I had no idea what it entailed, but I knew I wanted to work in basketball. So a lot of it is breaking down film, scouting opponents, rebounding a lot, um, working with the players. I mean, if you ask, I mean, I'll tell you, Jamal and I are very close and we became close because we would be working out at 4 a.m. together or, or, well, I mean, midnight. I mean, it doesn't matter. It's whenever someone wants to shoot, you got to do it. And the job was a blast. It was exhausting though. And during this year, I decided it was best for me not to maintain that job and go home and be with my family during COVID. But I really enjoyed what the job had to offer. And I would recommend for anyone that wants to work in basketball to be a college basketball manager. And one bright spot at Arizona is you don't have to do laundry like you do in most schools. So that was a really bright spot. I never had to do any laundry. I didn't have to load any whites or guards in. I just, I got to stick to the ball in the hoop. So that was really fun. That's awesome. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, um, just point of perspective, I mean, like what what type of doors opened um, while you were a manager at Arizona and like what kind of people did you uh, meet along the way while while you were there? Well, I've been fortunate enough to meet a lot of people through UATV with Justin and broadcasting. So a lot of my connections in the basketball world actually came from that. 
as a manager, I think what you gain is credibility and the ability to use the term Arizona basketball because on the West Coast, that might be the two most powerful words in the world of college basketball, maybe Gonzaga basketball, but I mean, Arizona basketball kind of carries like it, the weight itself. So that's one way I gained, I think that was the biggest key to my networking ability was even though it was only for like a year and a half, it was the ability to have Arizona basketball on my Instagram profile. It was the ability to have it on my LinkedIn profile because when someone, when NBA scouts are like, hey, this Josh Green kid, what have we got going on? Well, we'll search on LinkedIn, Arizona basketball. Oh, Joseph Klein works for them. Let me message Joseph Klein. Got a lot of NBA scouts networking that way. So that was one thing that was really interesting that I didn't know the gig would have. I, I think everything else is what you want to make of it, meaning doors open for whoever wants the doors to be open. I mean, at the end of the day, if Justin wanted to go talk to someone at ESPN right now, Justin could reach out to the ESPN PR department and they would either say no or yes, or so be it. So I think all that stuff, I don't, I give credit to Arizona basketball, but at the end of the day, it's, it's a personal initiative to want to broaden a network. And that's kind of what I would say. I don't know if that answers your question at all, but I think when you talk to people in sports, they will all tell you that it's a who you know industry. And everyone that I've been fortunate enough to work with, not everyone, let me reword that. Most people I've been fortunate enough to work with are willing to help one another. You obviously have the ones that are very self-oriented, don't want to help, want to stick to themselves. But those are the ones that don't really succeed in the industry because to succeed in this industry, someone has to help you and you then help them later on. And it's a loyalty thing. So I've been fortunate enough to get my foot in the door and hopefully we'll continue moving up the ranks. Yeah. Um, and, you know, some something that's been kind of a hot topic in, in college basketball in general is should Sean Miller stay with the Wildcats or, you know, is he on the hot seat or, or what his situation might be with Arizona basketball? You know, you being kind of behind the curtain, you know, in the building, what's something that, you know, I, I would say nationally, Sean Miller might get a bad rap just because of the FBI scandal, you know, paying players. Um, what, what do you, what would, what would you say to those people that just see Sean Miller in, in that light? And, and, you know, what, what's something that, you know, we don't see, uh, you know, the general fan doesn't see about Sean Miller that you think, might have seen? Yeah, the answer is just like you and I, he has two eyes and nose, a mouth, he breathes. I mean, he's a person. At the end of the day, he's a person just like all of us are. And we view him, the media tries to view him as the devil. And that's not who he is. He's a person. He has family values, just like any one of us. His son, Cam, Cameron Miller, is a manager at Arizona right now. Had a senior night last week. A great kid, one of my good friends. So at the end of the day, the media has tried to play devil's advocate on him. And that's not the way it's going to, that's not the way it rolls because that's not who he is. He doesn't want to fight the media that he's, he doesn't have a Twitter anymore. He doesn't have any social media because he doesn't want to clap back at all. You guys, his coaching will do the talking, but he's as a person, genuine, straightforward. And at the end of the day, he gave me a chance. So I'm forever loyal to him. I mean, he took a chance on a media kid. Like if you think about what shot, what coach Miller thinks of the media the last four years and taking a chance on a media kid. I just, I mean, I'm grateful. I, the only words I can use for him are loyal, grateful, and just, I mean, a good person. Like that's what he is and that's what he brings to the table. And he's a great coach. I mean, at the end of the day, he's, he's a winner. I'm, 
I know you guys this year, but I mean, this team is young and next year they'll be very good. Yeah. I mean, yeah, let's shift to a, a national perspective um, real quick with the rest of the teams going um, that are competing in all the other conferences. Uh, Duke major down year during a pandemic year, North Carolina down year during a pandemic year. I mean, they had, they had a down year last year as well, but um, different circumstances when you're bringing in um, new guys to the bro- to the program. Uh, Kansas also having a down year. And then we're seeing the Big Ten all of a sudden explode with all, the, all of this talent, all of this three, four-year talent. I mean, has the pendulum in, in college basketball kind of shifted towards having kids staying at the programs longer? Or is, I mean, is the one-and-done effect just taking a year off? I think the answer is you're never going to – it's an off year. And the reason it's an off year is because none of these teams had summers. So the teams of all freshmen, which entail all newcomers are freshmen. So Arizona's in that category. But then you have Kentucky, who's obviously known for having freshmen. Duke, Michigan State, um, Kansas. I mean, all these schools that are blue bloods that are known for having freshmen normally peak come March because it, it takes – seven to eight months to finally get a rhythm. If you look at it right now, these teams are getting better, but they never had the chance to start because they got thrown into a fire. And out of all the teams that got thrown into the fire, Kentucky by far is the worst because Kentucky literally is all freshmen. So Kentucky is a school right now that you get the feeling that if this was a regular season, they would be probably 16 and six, something in that range right now. And the reason is because if you look at their schedule, I believe it's eight or nine that games that they've had a one possession game in the final minute and a half. I mean, that normally those balls normally fall Kentucky's way. It's just because they didn't know how to win those games yet. Duke, on the other hand, Duke's peaking right now. Duke's playing really good basketball. Duke beat Virginia last Saturday. I mean, Duke is playing really good basketball. What's going on with Duke, Duke had a lot of issues that were not on the court to start the year. Obviously, COVID obviously a lot going on with coach really good basketball. I, I think Duke will make the tournament. Michigan state. I, there's not a coach in the country that gets more out of its players come March than Tom Izzo. I have never seen a Tom Izzo can get worse as the season goes along. They have a big game tonight against Indiana. I got a feeling that they're going to pull that one out and potentially blow Indiana out because Michigan state had a tough loss um, on Saturday and if they or Sunday and if they pull this one out that probably gets them in the tournament or at least a bubble team in the last four in so I think all of that stuff is what's leading into the situation of these teams struggling the teams that are peaking this year are the teams that do not have NBA players if you really think about it besides Jalen Suggs which is kind of interesting because Baylor I mean they're only NBA players Jared Butler who's a potential first round pick Gonzaga has Cody Kispert and Jalen Suggs, but Suggs is really the only one that you think of like a, that's an NBA talent. Illinois has Ayu Desumu, who's an NBA talent, obviously. Then you have Iowa, who the latest mock draft, some have Luca Garza going undrafted, some have him going 60. So clearly scouts aren't really thinking that's an NBA talent player. Michigan, a team of a lot of players that stay and are going to be loyal to Coach Howard. So you go down the list, a lot of these teams, the reason they're succeeding this year is because they didn't have to change anything in their system. So that's, to answer your question, guys, that's where I think 
this year's coming into play, it's because there was no offseason to implement the system. I really don't think the one and done era is done at all, unless the G League Ignite kind of shocks the world. Yeah, um, great stuff there. Um, but uh, so staying on the one and done aspect of it, uh, Nico Mannion was a guy last year at Arizona that a lot of people were looking at. Um, maybe you could say that he kind of underperformed a little bit. You know, there was the, the season was cut short. Um, due to the pandemic. Um, so there was a lot of things that, that didn't happen that might have happened, you know, in the Pac-12 March Madness tournament. Um, but when you're kind of looking at him as a player, where do you see Nico Mannion, you know, drafted to the Warriors um, on the G League team? But I think I believe he just got promoted back up to the NBA for uh, today as of yesterday or today. Um, where do you see, you know, talk about Nico Mannion's game. What do you like? And, and you know, what do you see his ceiling at the NBA? Or where, where do you see him fitting in the NBA, you know, madness? Yeah, I think Nico was off to a really unfair advantage because ball is life and overtime loved him. So he was viewed as the white ginger prodigy. He wasn't viewed as a, <laughs> the, the number 10 recruit in the country. It was kind of like you're the number one recruit in the country just because you're like the white ginger prodigy. And there's nothing wrong with that, but that's kind of what the value market was for him. So when he got to Arizona, you guys were both seniors at the time. You guys saw it happen. I mean, what was the what was the buzz like around Nico when you guys got here as media members? It was insane, right? Yeah, yeah, it was. Yeah, everyone was going up to him, and uh, you know, it was always hard to get an interview with uh, Nico. Like I was, I was at Arizona Media Day uh, during my senior year, and the only player I didn't talk to was Nico Mannion because every local Tucson beat reporter was asking him questions throughout the full forty minutes right. media session. And he came in as viewed as the local star because he went to high school in Phoenix at Pinnacle. Hmm. You getting an interview with Zeke and Josh was a little easier, obviously. Zeke was probably very easy because not many people knew his talent level at the time. So Nico, I don't think Nico ex understood how hard the transition was going to be. Really struggled. I mean, you saw him play against Illinois where he had the game of his life. And then you saw him play against Gonzaga where he went two for 21. Kind of just a tale of two games. He's a hard worker very willing passer and I think every teammate of his in the G League Arizona will all tell you that hard worker I think every teammate will tell you that and I think every teammate will also tell you that he is willing to take over a game if he needs he wants he he attempts to have a killer mentality it it burned him when Peyton Pritchard dropped 40 on his head I mean that burned him and that's how you know someone's going to be good because it's not like he went to the locker room and said okay guys next game no no, no. that like internally killed him so that's something that is only the elite mindset players kind of have internally. So you look at that and then you look at what Nico has done in the G League and it makes you wonder kind of where is his ceiling? I don't know. The answer is I really don't know. I see, I see him being a very good role player point guard in the league. I think learning from a guy like Jeremy Lin in the G League and obviously having Stephen Curry to learn from is kind of unfair because every – I would rather be picked 40 and have Stephen Curry to learn from than 20 and have any other point guard. So it's, he, he got into a perfect situation. He got into it with a wildcat coach. I, I really do not think there is a way for him to not succeed in that situation because of where he is, who he has around him and the voices he has in his ear in that situation. So to answer your peak, I, I don't know the peak but I can see him being an NBA. I see him being a very valuable NBA player. Yeah. Do you think he could have benefited from maybe, you know, I, I do agree with you. That he, he got an awesome situation. Steve Kerr, Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, you know, everyone at the Warriors organization. Do you say, you know, there was some talk about 
you think he should have stayed maybe another year or was his time ready to go, you know, good move on his part to get to the NBA one and done? The answer to that is you really don't know the answer because there was no NBA draft combine. So yeah. I think a lot of these kids didn't know if they were going to go 15 or 50. I mean, that's mm-hmm. the honest truth. Like if you yeah. ask any of these kids being drafted outside of the lottery, they really didn't know where they were getting picked. And I can mm-hmm. tell you that. So I don't, I don't think he expected to fall as much as he did. I think he expected to go late twenties, but yeah. I don't think he would change it because I think he's recognizing the value of the G league. And that's something that obviously is another topic for another day, but that that can change a lot. The G league, if this ignites thing works, which I hope yeah. it does because this is great for the NBA if it works. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, just, just in general too. I mean, lot, this time last year we were all in Las Vegas watching the Pac-12 tournament and um, you know, with everything with COVID and everything, I mean, that shut a lot of it shut everything down basically and it dropped some people in the in the nba draft stock i mean before the draft in october i mean scouts had a whole full calendar year to you know really study these study these prospects and really know get to know them but i i'm just i just wanted to know like how much did the NBA uh, or not the NBA, how much did the, did the NCAA tournament not happening really plummet some of these guys' draft stock? Because none of us really saw Nico Manion being a second round pick. All of us saw him being a late first, early second. I mean, what do you think about that? The answer is a ton. I think you had to go off of, you didn't have the times in college where you get recognized as an elite player or as an NBA player are in the conference tournament or NCAA tournament or the NBA draft combine. Nico played a great conference tournament game, but that was one game against Washington. I mean, that was it. That was it. The, Nico and Josh Green both left on very high notes after that one game. There, I mean, so the NBA scouts were having to go based off of assumptions. Not many, what people don't really recognize is who, what NBA scout wants to stay up at 11, PM to watch Arizona, Oregon state on the East coast. I mean, it's, it's not an appealing game to turn on the Pac-12 network, watch Arizona, Oregon state at 11 PM in New York, go to bed at 1 AM when you really don't know when you really know you can see these guys come March when they're playing. I mean, you don't have to watch the game. You go back and watch the game and it's just different now because now they're watching a game. That's a rerun. You don't, it doesn't feel the same in a way. And when you're watching it live, I don't, I can't explain that to you. I don't know why, but if you go back and watch Arizona versus Washington from the Pac-12 tournament last year, that wouldn't feel the same to you right now. I don't, I don't know why it's something in the human nature. I, I really don't know why, but I think we had to go based off of assumptions. And a lot of those assumptions were, were, were people were told based off of a player's work ethic, a player's drive or a player's upside. Scouts didn't get to see these guys live much come March. If Nico played a great first round game, Nico would have been a first round pick. I can almost guarantee that because that's how it works in March. You look at all these players that make a name for themselves in March, right? As I mentioned, Luca Garza is going projected to be 60th. If Iowa makes the elite eight, Luca Garza will move up to 40 to 30 range because it's like, oh crap, this guy can produce in March. I mean, 
that's like the biggest stage in college. You, if you can produce in March, you can produce. Look at Steph Curry. He produced in March. So that's the way I would kind of answer that question, which doesn't really help you, I don't know, much. But any player that produces in March has a great chance at having an NBA gig offered to them because that's where all the scouts are. That's where everyone wants to see you on the biggest stage in college. Even if it's a one sixteen matchup, you show up in one game, you're looked at, man. Yeah, I know. That's, that's a big problem. I was just in Florida, and I was watching a Laker game all the way till 1230 at night. So it's a huge problem with um, that the West Coast has to face. But I know sometimes, too, that the, they'll have scouts, NBA scouts, that go out to um, the Richard Jefferson um, uh, Center or arena. Um, and do you – how much, you know, are you guys interacting with, with scouts? And, you know, how much pressure do you feel, you know, when these scouts are at, you know, either at the game, at practice, on campus, you know? The answer is obviously as a manager, you do interact with them. I don't, I didn't feel any pressure. I don't think any manager feels pressure rebounding a basketball when a scout's there. But what I will say is these players, they've, do you have more pressure if a scout's there or when you're in high school, your junior year and coach Calipari's at a game for you? So They've dealt with the people watching them. They know every game they have is being watched, even if it's not in person by a scout on TV. So to kind of think on the mindset of, oh, crud, this guy's watching me right now. Like, I got to play better. That's when you fail. Because once you try to do too much, everyone catches on. So I think when you – and I'll tell you this. A lot of scouts were at the Arizona-Oregon game in Tucson in February, I believe it was last year well look who was drafted to the celtics in the first round that's probably a big reason why because of that one game where he played ballistic and all the scouts were there you get to see it in person and one thing you'd never get to see on a tv copy of a game but you see in person is the raw motion of a player the the slapping the floor the fist bumps the yelling in the huddles i mean all of that kind of translates and that's some stuff that it's almost just as important as the on the court is how you control yourself off the, I mean, during the course of the game and kudos to Peyton Pritchard, because I mean, when I tell you the ultimate classy guy, I mean it like I had to go clean. It was a 71, 70 game, something like that. I had to go clean a wet spot on the floor during the free throw, literally 20 seconds left. I'm cleaning it. Everyone's upset that I'm, I mean, cause I'm on a court with 21 seconds left in that one possession game or one point game. And Peyton walks up to me, pats me on the back, and goes, "Thanks, man, I appreciate it." I mean, he didn't have oh, to do that. Awesome. This is a this is a seventy-one seventy basketball game on ESPN. You're shooting free throws to make it a two-point game, and you're not worried about the free throw. You're being a really good person. So, I mean, I told NBA scouts this. I told NBA scouts that story because that's how, to me, that's how you see someone's real character in the battle of the moment. They're like that. Kudos to Peyton. Oh, that's awesome. Thanks for that story. That's a really good stuff there. Yeah. And Joseph, I have one last question. Uh, we're going to touch on Spurs a little bit, but I just wanted to ask briefly uh, just about the development of the young Spurs core. I know Kellen Johnson's really emerged this year. Um, there's been trade talk with DeMar DeRozan and LaMarcus Aldridge, but how have you really liked just the rest of the starting lineup in general, DeJunte Murray and Derek White and how they've really adapted to pop system, uh, Greg Popovich, that is. And just how, how do you like just how the Spurs are handling this year with, uh, with how wacky the NBA season has been? Well, first and foremost, DeMar DeRozan should be an all-star. 
I'll tell you that right now. He's a snub, and I understand that there's so much talent in the West, but at the top five or top six team, you should have a player in the All-Star game. And I'm not saying that to annoy anybody. I know Devin Booker deserves it too, but you, you just get the feeling that there aren't 12 players in the Western Conference playing better basketball than DeMar DeRozan right now. Then to answer now to answer your real question, I think the Spurs have done a phenomenal job. They have elite guard play on the defensive end. DeJounte, very quick on his feet, laterally with his hands. Derek White, another one who's just a very good defender. I think they got both of them for great price. DeJounte, four for 64 million. Derek, four for 72. I mean, though they're two, you locked up two kind of franchise point guards in a way that are better than role players, but not elite for such a great deal. Then you got Lonnie Walker and Keldon Johnson. Keldon's a star emerging before our very eyes. He's 21 years old. Lonnie, it's 21, 22, somewhere in that range. There's a player that can create his own shot. Both have very good heart on the defensive end of the floor. Then you got Jakob Pertl, who's been great crashing glass. They're all kind of fitting into pop system, but nothing about that. DeMar DeRozan's playing like an all-star because DeMar is making it so much easier and just guiding the young guys. You look last night, DeJounte Murray took the final shot of the game against Brooklyn, got it to overtime. That doesn't happen a year ago. That's DeMar DeRozan taking the shot. That's DeMar now trusting the young guys. That's DeMar wanting them to develop. As I heard Bobby Mark say, the um, ESPN analyst and former Nets GM, there's no, the narrative of the NBA players that are um, NBA teams keeping an older player just to make the playoffs and get an eight seed lose is not bad because that, that narrative changes. There's no better experience than playoff experience for a young team. And I think that's what's going to happen with the San Antonio Spurs. I really do think they're going to make the playoffs this year. I think they're going to thrive. And I think Coach Pop's done a phenomenal job with this team. Yeah, I mean, couldn't agree more with everything that you said, but we're running out of time. Joseph, we always appreciate you uh, coming onto the show. You're welcome anytime to join us. Thank you. Thank you. Let's touch base and we'll talk about conference tournaments later in the week. Of course. And we are back from that interview, Corey. Initial thoughts on, you know, everything that Joseph just said and uh, just the way that he sort of bro- broke everything down kind of in, in first-person form, like, you know, we'd only expect Joseph to do. Yeah, no, I know. I, it's awesome, too, that he got offered the job, you know, at a, at a presser, at an Arizona basketball presser to be the basketball manager. So, Huge. That's a huge shout out to him for getting that. And, um, and so I hope you guys enjoyed that. That was, uh, we, I definitely, we enjoyed that. And, um, and I really liked, you know, just the little stories that he had talked about, you know, he's really in the building for the Arizona basketball team. So a huge basketball guy too. I, I wish we had a little more time with him. Our zoom, the zoom 40 minute thing got, got cut off. So that was my bad. Um, but we just had to kind (laughs) of, we got the five minute wrap. Um, so our zoom director got on us. So, um, and so if, if zoom, if you're hearing this, if you want to sponsor the show or what we'd appreciate it. Um, but, uh, so and we'll, he hasn't enjoyed it. <laughs> we'll take any ad revenue, any ad revenue we can get, but I mean, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, let's, I mean, let's go, let's roll into our dagger, no dagger segments. Uh, we always love doing those, but, um, Corey, I'll start with, uh, the nets and the rockets who play on Wednesday of this week. 
James Harden gets a mixed reaction when from fans, the fans that are present for that for that game when he arrives in Houston. Dagger or no dagger? I would say definitely say dagger. You know, even though we, I would say the Astros escaped maybe the biggest um, booing session of all time. I think Harden just, you know, there'll be limited fans, so it's not going to be as bad. But I do think even though he, he says that Houston is his, you know, his place is, you know, it's still he considers home. But I think that, you know, he did kind of do Houston dirty. And if we look at their record, I believe they lost like the last 10 or, or so games. It's they're, they're in a tough John Wall is in a tough situation. And um, it, it the Rockets aren't looking good at all right now. And and um, the Wizards, too you know, with the, the Russell Westbrook um, trade and everything, it's, it's not looking good on both sides. And uh, Harden hopped over to Brooklyn is kind of riding, you know, the, the, the three-headed monster there. So, um, I, yeah, I think that there's going to be some booze at, at the minimum social distance capacity. Um, but, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how Harden does. Yeah, I'm going to say no dagger on this. I think they'll have a tribute video up for him and everything. I mean, he's spent most of his career in Houston, so – um, they're going to have something that's going to pop up on the scoreboard and fans are going to cheer and stuff like that. But, um, yeah, I, I don't know if he did the, did the Rockets dirty because it, it just seems more like it was just what the Texans are doing ironically. And that's what, I mean, they're trying to rebuild with their best players still in on the team. And, you know, the best player just wanted to move on and Houston had no draft capital at all. So like, mm. It would have been hard. It would have been hard enough to bring guys in. I mean, they were lucky enough to get John Wall, Victor Oladipo, in some of those trades. Uh, Christian Woods was a uh, free agent signing. He's been really great for them this year. But just overall, I just, I mean, it, it was just the Rockets were trying to force a situation that wasn't inevitable. I mean, it took James Harden coming out after a presser and saying that he he wanted to be traded. And it just, it just seemed like, it just seemed like it was just uh, inevitable to fix anything at that point. I mean, the the whole, the rest of the team was rebuilding. I mean, they had a new like uh, basketball CEO. um, Yeah. President of basketball operations, excuse me. They had a new GM, new head coach, new coaching staff. It just seemed like it was being rebuilt from the top down and like, all the pieces around Harden were new. So, I mean, it just, I mean, it just seemed like he needed to move on and uh, get, get, get a fresh start in Brooklyn. So. Yeah, I guess I could, I could reword it too, where it was just kind of tough how, you know, we had the whole, the whole strip club, you know, controversy going on and it seemed like he was kind of dogging it his last couple of days in Houston and he showed up late to, you know, their, their training camp and, you know, maybe it just, I do. He, he paid his dues in Houston, but I just think his exit, you know, was maybe, the, you know, maybe not the best way to go, go out, but um, yeah, it's, yeah, but you know, it happens with sports, it happens, but, um, and so moving on to football. Um, so U of A football schedule dropped um, a nice little highlight in Vegas on to open up in, against BYU. Um, <laughs> it could be a potential good moves for uh, all of you guys out there. Um, and so uh, one thing is, so, kind of an interesting thing uh rob gronkowski is going to return to tucson for the first time in 10 years i think it's been and to coach against teddy brewski also former u of a wildcat in the spring football game so shout out to jed fish uh absolute wizard to get these guys back on the tucson campus um 
do you see uh, dagger or no dagger? Do you see Gronk being a college football coach down down the road? Um, I maybe just in general, maybe not even at Arizona, but do you see Gronk uh, coach Gronk in in the future? I actually do see it. I, I'm going to go with Dagger on this one. And I don't see him as like a head coach at all. I mean, I see him as like a, an assistant coach, a tight ends coach, a strength and conditioning coach. I mean, Gronk's physique is unlike any other. I mean, if you see, if you see that, I mean, if you see that body, I mean, just <laughs> it's, it's unbelievable. I mean, just it's, it's, a, it's a great body. I mean, I just, I mean, what, what can you say? I mean, he keeps himself in great physical conditioning form and when he when he is playing football and when he's not playing football and i think the hardest part about what gronk did this past season coming back and winning a super bowl is that he had to get back into football shape and that's not easy to do and i i mean he he deserves all the praise in the world for you know getting two touchdowns in the super bowl and pairing up with tom brady and being his reliable tight end that uh it seemed like it was back in new england i mean it just i mean what Gronk did this season was unprecedented. One was unprecedented, and I mean the whole season was unprecedented. But I mean it was just overall the um, what Gronk did is it's just been incredible, and, I, and it's great to see him back in Tucson and coaching the coaching the spring game for the Wildcats. I'm gonna go with Dagger. I can Dagger. definitely see him be. I can definitely Good. see him being an assistant coach and uh, getting the guys riled up on the sideline and stuff like that. But I mean. Maybe it's for a year or two. Who knows? But I mean, I'm gonna go with Dagger. Yeah, I feel like Gronk kind of strikes me as a guy that doesn't really. He's like, okay, how'd you score two touchdowns in the Super Bowl? Oh, I just did. It. I just went out there. Gronk spiked on everybody. Like, so <laughs> I'm curious to see what his what his coaching style is like. Um, and and to see, well, I guess we'll see it coming up. Um, but I mean, I'll talk about a coach, a locker room guy, coaches, uh, coaches, players guy. But um, that that'd be that'd be fun to see play out. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but I mean, I'm going to, I'm going to ask, let's, um, let's go back to, uh, yeah, let's go back to, uh, NFL to, uh, just the Deshaun Watson thing we were talking about earlier. I mean, uh, I mean with JJ Watt and everything with kind of the Houston Texans going through a big rebuild, uh, does Deshaun Watson gets traded before the NFL draft dagger or no dagger? This oh man, this is looking kind of you know worse and worse as the weeks go on. And you know, I think people are talking about you know the Jets can offer the Texans a package, but I don't think I wouldn't want to go to the Jets either. So it's like you know you're in the same situation. You might win four or five games, you know, with the Jets. Um, and I, I it's just tough. I mean, in theory, this should work out. This should work out. You know, you you offer Deshaun Watson, you get a lot of stuff back, whether it's draft picks, players, you know. Um, and then Deshaun Watson's happy wherever he goes, but this is looking to be harder and harder. And it's, I'm going to say, oh man, I, this is, this is kind of one of the weirdest ones, but um, it's looking like just because how it seems like the front office there does not moving their ground on this. So I think that we're trending towards a, a potential holdout for Watson, um, you know, as we get closer to this, the, the free, the start of free agency or the off season official start. So I'm going to say, um, no dagger on this one and he could we could see a potential lockout here or holdout uh with Deshaun Watson <laughs> which I I think is just terrible for both sides they could easily be worked out you're going to get a lot for Deshaun Watson for the Texans Deshaun Watson could be happy but you know they don't want that so 
it's going to be interesting. Things are heating up in, in Texas. So, yeah. So, um, okay. So uh, speaking in the state of, of Texas, we're going to talk about the San Antonio Spurs, which we hinted on the very end of the, the interview with Joseph. Um, so, you know, the Spurs are, you know, kind of really underrated this year. Um, DeRozan, you know, arguably could have been an all-star, um, you know, he, he kind of seems like he's kind of been out of the loop since leaving Toronto. Um, and so, but we have a, a, a Spurs that are sitting at the sixth seed, which you have a stack West. It's going to be the, the wild West again. Um, do you see, do you see the, um, the Spurs making it um, into deep into the playoffs or, or do you see, you know, they're at the sixth seed there. There's a play in tournament that has to happen with the six or the seven and eight seed. So there's still a lot of basketball to be played, but do you see uh, dagger, no dagger, the Spurs make it past the first round of playoffs. So that playing game is going to be between the eight and the nine seed. Oh, the eight Just, nine, yeah. Uh, yeah. So go. that's good. So that will be for the last seed in the playoffs. But I am going to say, I'm going to say dagger. They, I think they can, uh, I think they can make it, but I'm not sure how many round, how many rounds will go. Definitely possibly up to round two, who knows, depending on who their matchup is. But uh, the Spurs right now are, I mean, they're very underrated. I mean, they have a good young core going. I mean, with Keldon Johnson and uh, DeJunte Murray. And, I mean, they still have veterans on that team, like DeMar Rosen, uh, LaMarcus Aldridge. Um, I mean, they, they have Derek White coming up, uh, just just sprouting out of nowhere. I mean, they Looney Walker, too, coming off the bench. I mean, the the Spurs are in a good place, and – I know that's weird to say after missing the playoffs last season, but they're in a good place right now with this team. And, you know, I think pop, I think Greg Popovich is building for the long term, And I think really he can um, get back to where he was with Tim Duncan, Manage Nobly and Tony Parker, which was winning championships. I mean, they were winning championships and it seemed like, I mean, they never repeated, but I mean, they could definitely, once they add a star, I mean, I could definitely see them building building a championship team. I mean, they're going to need one more star to get up to that um, to get up to, to get up to that level of um, a championship caliber team. That's 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 just how it goes in the NBA. I mean, look at Brooklyn stacking their team with three All Stars. I mean, look at the Lakers trading everything for Anthony Davis. Uh, yeah. Clippers signing Kawhi and Paul George. I mean, those. Those things have have to happen in order for you to be a championship team. So the way the Spurs have done it has been, you know, unusual, but it's it it's definitely worked. And I think it can work again sometime down the road. Definitely, yeah. So um yeah, so sticking with NFL, um there's been a proposal coming out about potentially adding a 17th game for the NFL season. Um do you see this working out long-term for the NFL if it does in fact happen dagger or no dagger? Ooh. So adding, yeah. So adding the extra game on there and would that, would that also include expanding playoffs? As yeah. Well, or- so the seventh, the seventh, the 17 playoff is going to, is going to be here to stay. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, I think, this is a tricky one. I've, I've seen players on both sides of this topic saying, yeah, let's get the extra game in. Um, you know, this would technically have, they'd have to be paying a little bit more, but maybe ticket prices go down. So there's just a lot of the stuff that would have to work for this all to be smooth on both sides. But, um, you know, 
I feel this is a tough one. I feel like if I were to be at a person at that level um, to make that decision, I would probably just keep this the the sixteen game uh, schedule, um, just because I feel like there's so many. I mean, this last year we saw so many darn injuries that were just you know season ending. Um, you know, I mean, it, it's just it's with Drew Brees, you know, potentially career ending. You know, with the whole rib the rib problem, um, and so I do think that you know. I, uh, man, this, this one's tough. Um, and it was such a weird year because, uh, you know, they essentially had no preseason um, because of COVID being postponed. So I think that um, more, more, more research and more time should be put into the health of the players and preventing injuries and in getting, finding a way, because I feel like the ACL injury has been so norm, normalized, like, you know, oh, okay, Torrey's ACL out for the year. Like, that's a big time injury that, you know, that's, that's, kind of your career altering. So um, I hope that I think keep it just at the 16, 16 week or 16 week schedule um, and, and then um, not add that extra game. I think that might do more harm than, than any good. Um, it, you know, as far as, as much as I would love to, to have an extra game, I do think that, you know, we have to realize that these are players, you know, they can only, their bodies can only, you know, withstand so much. Um, so, yeah. So. Yeah. You know, that's, that's going to be, that's definitely going to be tough if uh, they can do that. I mean, that's, you know, who knows what the future holds for the NFL if they do, if they do do that. So. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so I got one more, right? Yeah. I think uh, I, I may have gone I, I just, to, I may have gone two in a row there. So you can go, you can go two in a row as well. Let's see. So let's see what we got here. So, okay. So we had, so we met, we, we had Musa on the podcast last week, we talked about Russell Wilson, Russell Wilson named his destinations that he'd want to go to uh, a couple of them being um, I believe it was the saints Cowboys and were the bears in there too. I think bears sure were was, in there. Yes. Bears were in there. Do you, do you see, I know Musa said no on, on leaving Seattle. Do you think, and I'm kind of trending towards that too. Um, do you think, could you see, Russell Wilson in a going to the Cowboys or the, even the saints, um, at, uh, you know, or any of those destinations. I actually only see him going to one particular team and that's going to be the New Orleans saints. And I yeah. think the, I think they could pull off something where they manipulate the cap this season and they have a bunch of dead cap coming up. I mean, they're, they're, they're going to have to release guys. I mean, it's going to be a weird scenario for, um, it's going to be a weird scenario for the saints this upcoming season. Cause you know, it seems like they're going to try and I mean, they're, I, of course they're not going to try and rebuild. So they're going to try and trade for guys and manipulate the cap. And um, they're going to, I mean, I don't know how they're going to do it, but I, I feel like that's the one team where I can only see him end up playing. I mean, I wouldn't, I can't see him going to the bears. The bears are kind of questionable with Trubisky uh, Dallas is, I mean, they're eventually going to sign Dak and I mean, yeah, no, I, I just don't see, I just don't see him going to any other team other than the C like being back at the Seahawks or, or on the scene. So I'm going to, it's kind of a half dagger, half no dagger. I, I agree, but on just, just on certain, on just with certain, certain circumstances that is. So, um, yeah, I can definitely see. I can definitely see him going to a contender. I don't. I don't see him going to the Cowboys or, or the or the Bears. So, 
Yeah, it's crazy because, I mean, Drew Brees hasn't ret- officially retired yet, and it looks like he's going to be on that roster. And you also have Jameis Winston and Taysom Hill, you know, in that QB room. So it, there's a lot going on there. But I do think that, I, you know, as much as I would hate to say it, I think that Drew Brees might need to call it, you know, hang up the cleats. And he just had so many rough injuries. Um, but, yeah, it's going to be I, – I would love to see him at the Saints. And the Saints have had a rough couple years in the playoffs. So – three four years honestly but um and so i would if russell wilson i think could be the guy that could change that and yeah so a lot of big big stuff here on the dagger dagger and no dagger yeah (laughs) we love it yeah so i i I got my three i got jed fit i got spurs uh gronk and russell okay awesome yeah so i think yeah i think we're good i I don't know. I we I thought we skipped in there. Not sure. We'll have to go back and uh, run the tape again. But I mean, you know, that's our that's our um, dagger or no dagger segment. But you know, our dagger five for this upcoming week is going to be you know it's a little bit of a shorter NBA week. I mean, All Star game is this Sunday, and you know, there's some very exciting games coming up leading towards that. So uh, I'm I'm going to start with the Suns and Lakers. I'm going to go with the Lakers in this one. I mean, they're going to win a close game. They're going to win by four points, I think. It's going to be 105, 101. Um, you know, Devin Booker's been having a great year. CP3 is going to want some revenge against uh, Banana Boat Buddy uh, LeBron. Um, <laughs> I'm going to I'm going to go with the Lakers on this and uh, you know, it's it's going to be it's going to be a good uh, it's going to be a good fun game tonight or this week or this Tuesday. So I can't I can't wait. So uh, Clippers Celtics also the another primetime game so I'm gonna go with the uh, I'm gonna go with the Clippers on this one the the Celtics they've been kind of struggling I mean the the Celtics have been you know they're hovering 500 and you know the Knicks are ahead of them in the standings right now it's just not a good look for Brad Stevens and uh, you know Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown being the being the leaders of that team and Kemba's been kind of injured. Uh, he's been on and off, but I mean, he's back, but he's not playing back to backs. So it's going to be a little bit of a difficult stretch for, um, for, for the Celtics after the uh, all-star break, but the nets and the rockets, I'm going to go with the nets, obviously. I mean, this is James Harden's return to Houston. I mean, this is something that um, has been very anticipated. We weren't sure if it was going to happen this year, but it's happening and it's it's happening right before uh right before the all-star break. So that's something to that's a tune to go out on. So I'm gonna go with uh I'm gonna go with the uh Nets here. And let's see. Um let's go a, a tough a tough fourth decision. Let's just say that. Um Warriors Suns Warriors are going to be at the Suns uh, this Thursday. I'm going to go with the Phoenix Suns. Uh, I think they close out the All Star break on a on a high note. And I know I just it's just hard to it's just hard to see the Suns slipping to a Warriors team that's you know barely in the playoff mix. I'm going to go with the Suns here. And then the granddaddy of them all, the All Star break, uh, the All Star game rather between uh, Team LeBron and Team Durant. LeBron has won it every single year. He's picked a team. So I'm going to go with LeBron here and I trust him to that. He can build a team to be either Kevin Durant's team, Giannis's team, Steph Curry's team. It doesn't matter what you throw at him. I really do believe that uh, LeBron 
can be a future president of basketball uh, operations in this league or a future GM. Uh, it really just all depends. I mean, who knows if he owns an NBA franchise someday, but I, I'm going to go with Team LeBron and, you know, bring in guys that he can trust. So, <laughs> Yeah, there you go. But I like that a lot and good, good NBA stuff ahead of the All-Star week uh, and a weekend, I should say. Um, and so I'll roll into mine. Um, also starting today, the Clippers Celtics. Um, uh, Clippers have kind of struggled against the East, losing two to the Nets. They just lost a brutal heartbreaker to the Milwaukee Bucks. Um, I do think they'll get the bounce back today. Hopefully, Paul George can get, you know, get a little bit better shooting uh, efficiency. I think he was seven for 21 against the Nets. He's still battling a toe injury, but I mean, a toe, if you play over 30 minutes, you can't, you can't bother, you know, you can't say your toe's bothering you. Um, you've got, you know, I think the Clippers just have to step it up a little bit, turn it up in crunch time. They could have beat the Nets. They could have beat the Bucks, but it just kind of fell apart in the last couple minutes. The most important five minutes of the fourth quarter kind of fell apart there. Um, and so, but I think the Clippers will bounce back and Celtics have been struggling a little bit as of late. Um, probably mainly due to COVID-19 with, you know, if they've had people, a lot of players on and off. Um, so I think Clippers will get that back. Um, number two, we're going to go um, Utah and Philly, who are up there in the uh, ranks, top ranks of the Western and Eastern Conference. Um, I think that Philly is going to pull this one off. Um, and B, Joel and B has just been completely balling out this year. Um, and, you know, it's kind of, it's good to see Doc Rivers, you know, thriving over in the East again. Um, and I, you know, I, I, as much as I really like Ty Lue, though, it's kind of a side note um, with the Clippers. I think I think he's doing great, great work with the Clippers, kind of getting them to be more of a cohesive unit. Um, Philly, I think Philly's going to take that one against Utah on Wednesday. Um, that was number two. Number three, we got so this kind of a random one. We got the New York Knicks against the Spurs. So I, it's kind of <laughs> the the Knicks have been kind of laughing stock of the sports world for the last half decade, four or five years. It feels like. Um, and so the Knicks are actually above 500, just one game above 500, but they sit at the four seed at the West or the five seed, I want to say. Um, and so I'm kind of curious to see how they're going to play against a six seed in, in a pretty solid Western conference team, not top tier in the Spurs, but solid six seed in the West. Um, it, you know, they arguably could be, you know, the top th three seed in the East. So we'll see how the Knicks do. Uh, I, do you think, you know, I'm going to say, I'm going to say the Spurs win this one, but it's kind of just going to be a good gauge to see where these Knicks are and how legit they are um, or not. So that was number three. Um, number four, Golden State, Portland. Um, I think this is just going to be a good one to see kind of where, you know, the Warriors have been really inconsistent. They've had, they pulled out some great wins, but then they just got blown out by the, by the Lakers, almost 30, 30 points, uh, a blowout from the Lakers. So they've been kind of inconsistent without Clay Thompson, Draymond left the game early. Um, and so I, I think that will just be a fun one to gauge how, the, how these teams are. Um, I'll, I'll take Portland on this one. Um, and then the uh, number five will be um, New Orleans um, and Miami on Thursday before the All-Star break. Um, so New Orleans, they, they just beat the Jazz last night in a great game. And they're kind of, they're peaking in the, you know, you know, Maybe, maybe not peaking because it's still kind of halfway of the season, but I think they're trending in a really good direction. And I do like what the Pelicans are doing, Zion All-Star. Um, and so I really like what um, these guys are, you know, they're doing Lonzo's playing better, Josh Hart, Brandon Ingram, and Steven Adams has been kind of a nice um, addition 
from the Thunder at the five spot. So these, this is a talented roster and um, young core, and I really like what the Pelicans are doing. And um, I think they'll, they'll get that win against Miami. Um, so that's my dagger five. Yeah, um, there you go, Corey. Uh, well, a lot of NBA action, short and yeah. sweet this week. Uh, there's a big uh, all-star game coming up this Sunday. Um, yeah, tune in for that. It's going to be in Atlanta. So it's good to see the all-star game back this year. Um, wasn't sure after, you know, after the pandemic, what we would see, what kind of, you know, what kind of uh, all-star format we would see this year. We're going to get the dunk contest at halftime. That's that's going to be really, really fun to watch. I mean, I can't, I can't wait to see that, but um, let's, let's go into our dagger of the week. I know there was a couple of daggers uh, that happened in the NBA. There's, it was an exciting NBA week. Let me just tell you um, I'm going to go with the, I mean, I'm going to go with the Celtics Mavs um, dagger from Luca. I mean, at the buzzer, it looked like the one that he hit against the Clippers in the playoffs. <laughs> I mean, it, it just, yeah. it just did in, in game yeah. four, but it, it was, you know, it's great to see the Mavs kind of really picking it up and uh, seeing what that team is capable of doing because I mean, they added, I mean, they add Josh Richardson this off season. They didn't do much else. I mean, they lost, they lost their assistant coach to the Rockets. I mean, it's good to see uh, the best offensive team last year from basketball uh, turn out to be, you know, hitting game winners. I mean, that's, I mean, we love yeah. seeing game winners, especially from Luca. I mean, he's going to be a future star in this league. So um, I'm going to go with uh, that, that Luca buzz, buzzer beater. So, I mean, yeah. <laughs> there you go. That step back, that step back three, or, you know, Luca's got a nasty step back. So, um, uh, yeah, that definitely, definitely deserves that one. Um, and so I'm going to be, I'm going to stick on to the Bucks and a Sunday, 1230 PM game. Uh, a couple of days ago, we had a um, great game going down to the wire. Thought maybe OT was going to happen. Um, Bucks end up going up 101, 100 on the Clippers late in the game and great ball movement by the Bucks. I got to say they swung it around to the top, top of the three point arc. Giannis doesn't even have to dribble. It takes two steps just goes up for the jam and really just dunks on the, on the whole Clippers unit. Um, Pat Bev kind of somehow Pat Bev was on him. If you go back and look at it, Pat Bev was on top of the arc and kind of sloughed in to, I believe it was Middleton that, that dished the, the ball over to Giannis. So Giannis basically had a wide open lane to the, to the rack dunked it. And so in, and the Clippers couldn't, they tried to put up a Hail Mary 30, 30 foot uh, three pointer to win that one. Didn't go, it kind of a rough play design there that Paul George fumbled the ball. Kawhi kind of fumbled it and then chucked it up. So not the way you want to see a game end um, in the Clippers corner, but um, you know, that was a heck of a play from Giannis and uh, you know, arguably could be three peat for the MVP, just the way he's playing. Um, and so we'll see, but yeah, that's my dagger of the week. Dunk of the week, dagger dunk. Dagger dunk is something new that we haven't seen on the show yet. You know, it's always a game-winning shot. It's always a uh, game-winning touchdown, field goal, whatever. Uh, yeah. Different, a little bit, a little bit of a different feel for uh, the dagger of the week this week. So you know, shout out to Corey for that you know, <laughs> creative, creative one against his own team, rather. So uh, yeah, yeah, so get, everyone stay tuned <laughs> for uh, more content coming out on our socials podcast once it drops. We're gonna be um you know it's going to be up itunes apple whatever wherever you get your 
wherever you get your podcast streaming, Spotify, yeah. uh, we're, you know, we're on everything basically, but you know, stay tuned for next week. We have a special guest. We're going to keep that a surprise for you guys. I mean, we, we already booked it. We can't wait. It's going to be a good episode. Um, and all I can say is that she's going to be a great guest. So it's going to be, it's going to be awesome. We can't wait. Uh, in the meantime, thank you guys so much for tuning in. Uh, look for us on social, just like I said earlier, but in the meantime, take care everybody and enjoy your week. Mm-hmm.